Welcome OT entrepreneurs to the OTs Get Paid podcast. This is episode 104. It is part one of our Buying Back Your Time series. Today, we are talking about embracing sustained refusal as an entrepreneurial empowerment piece and saying no to the attention economy. I might have to rejig that one before I put that in a show note. <laughs> That's a little long. <laughs> so here's what I want to discuss. People come to me all the time and say, I don't have enough time. As OT entrepreneurs, they'll say things like, you know what, Trish, I know that you tell me I need to hire somebody to buy back my time. I get this lesson now, but I, I don't have the money for it. Um, and I really don't have time to hire anybody. And then when I make the money, that's when I can hire somebody. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. You only have two assets. You have time and you have money. And I get that we are OT entrepreneurs operating on really thin margins for the most of us, especially if we have a service-based business, and we will throw our time at something over money, particularly in this economy. And yet, there is a real value, not just a perceived value, a real value in buying back our time, which is why we are focusing two podcasts on this topic. Part one is today, which is saying no, putting a boundary on your time, but we're going deeper than that. Part two, the next episode, is going to be focusing on the right tasks. Remember we've talked about $10 tasks and $10,000 tasks before? What is that exactly? Because I know you can lose yourself in the busyness of $10 tasks. So we're going to go deeper on that too. Let me ask you, do you ever just sit in to space and think? Or are you always going? Lately, I have been spending a lot of time sitting in space and thinking. Sitting in space? <laughs> nope, I'm still in Canada. Sitting and staring into space. <laughs> and I feel really guilty about that because I do it a lot, the last few months especially. And recently, I've been noticing that I've been still triggered about that. While I'm being honest with it, I still get triggered. Somebody said to me once lately, oh, you know, with a single mom and the kids and your business and the house and everything, you're just so busy. And I was like, mm, I mean, yes. And also, have you seen me staring into space? I also have one and a half, <laughs> one's almost on their way out, adult kids in my home. And honestly, this is my latest biggest trigger because I look at them and I think, what are they doing? Now, they have full-time jobs. My daughter has plans. She's leaving for Europe in the spring. She's going to work back at camp all summer and she's starting school again in September. My son has a full-time job and He's looking to build his career in sound with side contracts. And yet, I look at them and I still think, what are they doing? 
are they doing enough? And it's not just when I see them sleeping or resting, but it's deeper than that. And this is humbling to admit, by the way. There has been a lot less doing around here for me and a lot more quiet thinking and strategizing and planning. And you know, I swear by planning, you know that I'm often running workshops on how to build a strategic plan. We have a podcast on how to do that season one, episode 14. We have templates. I run a VIP day on this and I work on strategic planning with everybody in my paid programs. So why am I not jumping up and down and patting my own back and feeling so comfortable about the way that I've been spending my time lately? This led me to pick up a library book called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. And I feel the need at this point to interrupt my own thoughts and say, I am not sure how many, how often I have, or how well I've clearly explained to you how much I love the library. I love the library. I always have since I was little. And one of my favorite things in the world, if you don't have this at your disposal and you are resonating with this, is the library app. I have it on my phone. I pull it up anytime I am listening to an interview or I come across a piece of writing or I wind up on book talk on TikTok or I'm listening to a podcast and an interesting book comes up. I put it on hold at the library because guess what I get to do at the library? I get to, in here, like talk about feeling guilty. The old Trish would have taken it home, read it cover to cover, barraged myself, berated myself if I didn't read it cover to cover. Yeah, I'm over that. What I do now is I take the book out and sometimes I just look at it. Sometimes I sit for five minutes in the library and skim it and absorb it. <laughs> sometimes I take it home and read a chapter or two, but let it sit on my beautiful little nightstand. Sometimes I read the whole darn thing, but it is a practice that is like a dopamine hit when I get a blue, my hold is in and it's free. Okay, so there we go. How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell turned out to be a fabulous book and it is giving me a foundation on which to talk today. The author argues that there is more than just saying no. There is more to this than just setting a boundary. I talk about this in, in a podcast episode from way back called Money Breaking Decisions and saying no is one of them. There is a stage of business where it becomes even more important to saying no and that is in the feast and famine stage, or what Rachel Rogers often, uh, we have different stages, but she uh, alludes to a certain stage of business called the busy bee. If you don't know what stage of business you're at, please go into the show notes and click on our OTs get paid quiz because it will tell you what stage of business you're at and it will give you some steps for you to follow for where you are at. For example, if you're in the start phase, don't go creating 50,000 offers. I just had somebody the other day that was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm like, no, 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 you're not. You're still trying to do this. So if you need some guidance with that, the quiz is very, very helpful. Okay. This is more about saying no. This is about sustained refusal. I had never heard that term before until Jenny O'Dell brought it to my attention. It is about focusing on one thing, not being in a reactive mode but a planned decision. So let's dive deeper into this 
solution. What's really at the heart of this lack of attention or this lack of clarity and organization? The author says, in the case of saying no, it comes down to fear. At this point, I wanted to know a little bit more about the author, and believe it or not, she's an artist, which took me by surprise at first. But then understanding her art made sense. Her work, she says, generally involves acts of close observation, whether it's bird watching, collecting screenshots, researching trash, or trying to parse different forms of e-commerce. Now, my mother was an artist, and my dad was a failed architect, so we had a lot of art in our house. I don't actually understand a lot of this, but that's okay. I used to have a membership, the Art Gallery of Ontario. I don't quite understand what this means from her bio, but that's okay. That's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to push us. In general, Jenny O'Dell says she is searching for frameworks that allow us as a society to perceive something new about everyday reality. I can get behind that. And her work being acts of close observation is fascinating to me. The ability to refuse to say no, historically, is more difficult for those who identify with the female experience. I did an entire podcast on this, episode 81, called Rest as a Revolution, and it is part of our productivity series. It's downloaded a ton. It's very popular. I highly suggest you go and listen to it. It is based on research by a PhD former preacher who titled her book Rest as a Revolution, which is just so rock star in my opinion. So in this episode at first glance, when I sat down to think about it, it felt as though this was an internal battle to say no as a high achiever. Okay. In the road to 100K, just last week, we were discussing boundaries around the holidays within our family structure and also in the US culture in particular. And I say that as an outsider, as a Canadian who used to be an insider. I lived in the States for many, many, many years. And also the boundaries around work and our holidays. FYI, I'm recording this right before. Uh, uh, December, January break. And just the other day, I told my future self, next year, you're going to take the week off work too. Because I always forget that that is just a weird space. And it's just a challenging space for me. And so I'm going to do my future self some service. So what comes up for that is fear and guilt. But the author says, it is more than that, which is why we're diving in to this topic, because we've heard this before. Jenny O'Dell does a deep dive into recognizing there is privilege in this refusal. And that really opened my mind. We are socially and financially vulnerable, many of us, many of us more so than others, and this helps explain why people often resist more refusal. It's not just internalized, it is objective. And I believe this is really important to acknowledge as OTs, particularly those of us with that female experience, and it isn't discussed enough. So what I want to do now is talk about five items 
that we can do in order to recognize that this social and financial vulnerability is real on top of the guilt, which is all combined into fear. And what can we do? A lot of this is from Jenny O'Dell's book, and some of this is just from the brain of yours truly. <laughs> what can we do? The first is being present. I mean, that sounds obvious. But again, Jenny O'Dell says this beautifully by saying being present is being in the space for action. I bet that's what her art is about a lot. Okay, being present is a reminder that if you're not present, you are not in the space for any action. I don't feel like I'm in a state of action when I've been staring out of windows, but I sure feel more present. So maybe that's, maybe that's a baby step. Number two, recognizing it. We know this. If you are a peds person and you read Dan Siegel, name it to tame it. It's one of the things I say clinically all the time. The price of fear, arguably, is decreased concentration. I mean, that kind of dovetails on the first part, right? The first point I just made. A quote from the book is, there is a fearful and myopic battle for stability. So let's look at where you are in your life. Are you in an uber competitive space at work, in your life? Who are you surrounded with? And how is this obstructing your individual and our collective attention as OTs? Number three, I want you to look for institutional support. This allows individuals to afford, in quotes, to refuse. What can your local OT association do for support? Do you need to do more advocacy at a higher level for insurance, for example? Do you need to speak with your local association or conference? One of our values is to leave the profession better than we found it. And we do that in many ways. You might choose to do that by turning to the institutions that support your profession and advocate and try to change. Number four, environmental adaptation. Hey, we're OTs. We know what this is all about. And this is what we also do here at OTs Get Paid. Our mission is far more than just to get OTs to become paid peeps and find the freedom within that. It is to get more money into the hands of more women because we know research shows that women do more with money for their families and their communities. And we do that through education, through knowledge translation. Sometimes it's to an audience of like-minded people like this podcast. Other times it's in our group programs and sometimes it's one-on-one -on -one where we might advocate for changes or reasons behind, for example, pricing and private pay, keeping profit in your company, why that has a massive benefit as an owner, a business owner, paying yourself as well as your team. How many times have we said, you know, my team gets paid really well and I get paid less. Or learning who, not how. And the fifth is changing our habits. What habits can you change so that you are not constantly plugged into this loop of activity and capitalism? 
your attention is the last thing that you can withdraw here that has incredible meaning. So based on this, I wrote out a few of my current habits to show you how I've been trying to withdraw some of my attention and still be involved in activity and capitalism because I have bills to pay. And yet it feels meaningful to me. So I wrote down three. You will have heard me talk on episode 102 about how we are refining our presence in social media. It's a new word. At first I said totally unplug when I wrote the script a while back and then I realized, no, we're actually refining our process in social media because we found it wasn't making that much of a difference in our marketing and sales by going all in on IG and Facebook and YouTube and TikTok. And that's okay. So that's smart, that's data-driven, but also it wasn't landing with me. So we are refining our presence in social media, and that is a real habit to change. Number two, I am purposefully looking for and occupying third places, which is a space that is not work and that is not home. Now, you heard me mention the library. If you were listening, and I hope some of you got the thrill that I get when I talk about the library, but the library isn't just a place that I go to work for focus, although I do. It is a true third space. It is a true place where I can tend to myself that is not totally work and not totally home. In fact, the other day, I was probably reading a few books that I pulled off of a, of a hold shelf to see what they were like. I really don't think I was actually working at that point. And one of my favorite neighbors came by and looked at me and was in shock because she had brought her little toddler to one of the toddler classes. And she goes, my gosh, what are you doing here? And I was like, I love the library. And she's probably 15 or 20 years younger than me. And she was pretty gobsmacked, but it makes sense. Another third place where I spend a lot of time is singing. I have individual lessons, I sing in a group, and we break off into small groups, and we have a show coming up. So we are often rehearsing choreography, we are in small groups, rehearsing uh, actual, uh, the actual music, we are working on rhythm, we are in a bigger group, we are having a holiday party, we are, somebody's in, having a New Year's Eve party. The involvement in singing which is a group of about 25 of us, I think, occupies a beautiful third space in my life. I've also been taking up pickleball, (laughs) which is, yeah, a little culty, I'm not gonna lie, but I actually like that part of it because it is a true space. It's not showing up like, um, I was leaning into tennis again after a while and it's not the same. I mean, no diss on tennis, there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a momentum to pickleball and I enjoy that because it is more than just the sport. It is more than just playing the game. And that makes me happy. I get there, I see people and it is a true third space. Or as some of you have been listening to this podcast for a while, it can be babysitting your next door neighbor (laughs) who's a little kid in the park when you're 53 years old and your kids are leaving home. 
just me, anybody, Bueller. Okay, the third habit I have implemented is to find what Jenny O'Dell calls a tiny space. So do you know where to put your attention at work in a very, very, very refined and specific way? And again, I hearken back to our quiz. This is literally our specialty at OTs Get Paid. This podcast can help you figure out the day-to-day-to-day in your business. What are you supposed to be putting your attention towards? I want you to use the wee tiniest bit of margins. Like, I feel so overwhelmed, but I'm going to focus on just this. Because guess what happens? That opens up another small margin to another small margin to another small margin. Basically, by finding a tiny space and staying there, it organically moves you to the next small margin. So I hope that this podcast went beyond just saying no as a boundary and really brought some real attention, (laughs) pun intended, to saying no and beyond and recognizing how this really affects your health, affects your sustainability, and also could affect how you may or may not judge yourself as you are taking time to be involved in acts of close observation, involved of being present, or if you just, if you're like me, more staring out of windows. Until next time.